Hello, and welcome to AgeWise Health. I'm your host, Maggie Jess, Director of Nursing at Ameristaff Nursing Services. On today's show, we're going to talk about orthopedic surgery, specifically joint replacements. My guest today is Dr. Bill Ward. Hello, Dr. Ward. Hello, and uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. So at the beginning of every show, we kind of like to get a little background about our guest. So if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of how you ended up becoming an orthopedic surgeon. Um, sure. I, uh, I, I grew up in the Detroit area, went to U of D high school. Um, out of high school, I um, got into the Inaflex program, which is a six-year medical program. Uh, it only had a 30-year grant, so it's no longer in existence, but you do two years of undergrad and then you start medical school. Uh, after uh, graduating from medical school in uh, 79, I then did my residency at the University of Michigan. Um, and it, it was interesting. I, I wasn't really quite sure what I was going to go into. Um, and then I did my orthopedic uh, month as a senior student, and I loved it. It was taking care of uh, the walking well, uh, and you got to see uh, the results of your work darn near right away. Uh, the arm was broken and crooked, and now it's straight, and the young baseball player's happy. Um, the person comes in and can't walk, and you replace their hip, and you see them back in the clinic two weeks later, and they're pain-free and walking very well. So uh, it was sort of made for me. And so um, that's why I went into orthopedics. Wow. I mean, it must be very satisfying to, to get that gratification to be able to walk well, you said? Sure, without a limp and be able to mm -hmm. uh, maintain your activity level and your youthfulness. Uh, and um, I, I loved it, and I still love it, um, although I've been retired now for four years. Oh, okay. Um, so why did you just decide to retire? Boy, that's sort of a complex question. Um, I think it was sort of uh, many-fold. Um, Probably the first uh, and most important factor was um, uh, my mom had died at 63 and my brother at 57, and he was only a year older. And so I wasn't quite sure how much time I had on this earth. Uh, so that was part of it. The other part was uh, uh, the number of surgeries that I was doing in a day was taking a lot out of me. Um, I developed a little heart issue, atrial fibrillation, um, and and medicine was changing a little bit. Um, everybody had a PA. Uh, there were electronic medical records, and I wasn't a computer whiz. In fact, I was more a computer idiot, so <laughs> I struggled with that. Um, and I realized that I enjoyed being with the patients, and I enjoyed talking to them. And the way things were changing um, and staring at a computer screen, I wasn't enjoying it as much. Mm -hmm. um, that and the fact I wanted to spend more time with my family and my wife. Um, and my wife would probably say my golf game too, but uh, in any <laughs> event, in any event um, I read several books on retirement. And probably the most pertinent question that one of the books asked was had you accomplished everything in your occupational life that you wanted to accomplish? And, and I had. 
Um, so I felt that I was ready. Um, so I retired. Wonderful. I think a lot of people would uh, praise you for that. You looked deep inside and kind of figured out, this is what's best for me in my life. Yeah, and, you know, this isn't a dress rehearsal. Um, so <laughs> right. so you, you only get one shot at it. And, and I had enough hobbies to keep me busy. And, um, you know, the wake doesn't drive the boat. So you look forward and you do the things that you, uh, that you enjoy doing. Good. So It's wonderful. So that's where I'm at now. Okay. So throughout the years, you practiced for roughly 40 years? Uh, I was in private practice for uh, 35 years. 35 years. Um, you know, if you count the residency, you okay. know, it's 40 years. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, 35 years of private practice. I practiced at St. Joe's in Pontiac, uh, Trinity Health Oakland, I think it's yes. called it, uh, yeah. today. Um, but I loved it there, and um, it was a great move for me. I worked there for about four and a half years, and I thought it was a wonderful system. I, I would agree it is, with you on the, that. The, the thing that I probably miss the most uh, is the people that I worked with, mm -hmm. um, the nurses and the surgical techs. Um, they are really the, the foot soldiers of medicine. They, uh, I owe a debt of gratitude to every one of them. That's wonderful to hear. Very nice. So throughout that 35 years of private practice, how has orthopedic surgery joint replacement changed? What have you seen? What are some of the major changes? Well, I think um, uh, the, the biggest change in uh, orthopedic, uh, that is uh, total hip and total knee replacements uh, over the years has been the technology. The technology that we have now, or at least as of four years ago, was so is so much more exacting than it ever was when I first started. In fact, one of our my professors used to say when we were doing a total knee back in you know, 1984, well, Bill, we got two sizes. We got too big and too small. So <laughs> now there are so many sizes, and the instrumentation that you make the bony cuts with is so much better. Um, so the technology uh, ha has gotten better. The, in total hip surgery, uh, the polyethylene liner that used to wear out after perhaps 10 years of, of big time wear, now in, in essence never wears out. The, the, the stems that we put in get bony ingrowth uh, relatively easily, because it's a better fit, because we have better tools to put them in. Um, so if somebody has a total hip done and it's done well uh, and they're 50, you can sort of tell them that it, there's a good chance it will last the rest of your, their life barring infection. So, mm -hmm. so uh, the technology changed sort of everything. It made people surgical candidates sooner from a hip perspective, a little bit sooner from a knee perspective, but um, uh, uh, technology was probably the biggest change. Electronic medical records was a huge change um, uh, and wasn't popular with me, as I've already explained. <laughs> right. um, I, I think. Uh, uh, we used to keep people five or six days in the hospital after a knee or hip, and now most are done 
either as an outpatient or an overnight stay, depending on the patient's health. So, so those have been sort of the major changes. So for those of us that have always heard, you know, a knee can last 10 to 15 years, that's kind of out the window now. Well, the, the, the polyethylene liner um, with excessive wear may start to show somewhere uh, at that time, but exchanging a liner uh, is done as an outpatient, and it's a two-week recovery. So uh, you're not taking out the components. Mm-hmm. You're just popping out a liner and putting a new liner in, and the surgical procedure takes 20 minutes. So it's not uh, uh, maybe a half hour. It's, it's, and the recovery is uh, very, very quick. Um, so it's not uncommon for a knee with maybe one liner exchange to last somebody's whole life. But there are some that do get loose mm-hmm. in five to 10 years, and we're never quite sure why, but, but it can that happen. happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's good information for someone who's waiting. You know, if I only have 15 years, why don't I wait till I'm 65 or 70 to get a knee? We don't have to wait any longer. No, you really don't. I, I think the, the key thing in waiting or not waiting is can you maintain your vitality? Can you keep your strength up? Can you get your heart rate up? Because if you wait an extended period of time and your body, not your, your age is going to get, your chronological age is going to change slowly, but you don't want your physiological age, that is all your muscle tone and your flexibility, you don't want to lose all that, then expect to recover like somebody who didn't wait. So, uh, so whatever a person is doing or dis- making a decision to pull the trigger or not pull the trigger, as long as you can maintain your vitality, your strength, get your heart rate up through swimming or biking or things that don't hurt your joint the next day so you can be active again the next day, then you should wait. And if you can't be active, you probably should pull the trigger sooner rather than later. So what's a good candidate for a joint replacement versus someone that you wouldn't operate on? How do you kind of figure that out? Well, I I think that uh, first of all, um, general health is the most important uh, component of deciding whether somebody's a candidate. Um, you know, you have to be healthy enough to withstand a major procedure. And if there is a complication like an infection or a blood clot, you have to have the, the, the body, uh, your body has to be able to recover from an, a severe insult. Um, so general health is the most important uh, factor in being a, a candidate. Um, some people would say weight. Um, I think uh, as long as someone's weight is close, they will do better afterward uh, with a joint replacement because they can be active. Mm-hmm. Although one of my favorite lines is, uh, you know, even with activity, you can't outrun your fork. So, so it's, <laughs> it's sort of important that people have a reasonable body habitus. Mm-hmm because the risk of infection goes up as one's body mass index goes up. So 
you, you, and, and there are certain numbers that your orthopedic surgeon will toss out. So you, you need to be appropriate mm-hmm. uh, from a weight perspective. People do better when they're active before and they haven't uh, fallen into a weakened state because you op- surgery always makes you sicker before it makes you better and you want to be able to recover and you don't want to have a large distance to recover from waiting and becoming atrophied and weak um, and not be the person that you otherwise should be. So staying in good shape before you have surgery is important. Yeah. Are there certain exercises one can do before their surgery, whether they were active or not? Could that help? Every orthopedic office who does uh, uh, joint replacement will pass out an exercise program prior to surgery. I would always give it to people two or three years before. You know, you should start doing this. Don't let it, I'm going to give it to you, don't let it just collect dust on your nightstand. You should start doing this now, especially if you're going to put off joint replacement. Um, you, um, so, so every office will give them those exercises. But exercises, exercises that you should do are really those that don't hurt you and stop you from exercising the next day. Arthritis, really, once you get warmed up, it starts to feel better. It's if you overdo it the next day that you can't get out of bed and then you can't exercise that day. So, so you, you want to do things like ride a stationary bike, swim, um, do things that won't bother you. But impact loading, pounding on your knee or your hip is like knocking your head against the wall. Sooner or later, you know, don't complain to me about having a headache. So, you know, you, you really want to, to do things that, that don't affect you the next day. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so now post-surgery, is there anything you have to avoid after joint replacement? Well, I think you sort of break that into the total hip patient um, so and the total knee patient. The total hip patient uh, in the first three months uh, needs to be somewhat aware of extremes of motion, extreme flexion and turning their hip in as if you're crossing your leg, the affected leg over the other leg. Um, if you've had a posterolateral approach, a, a standard approach from the back, if you've had a f- uh, direct anterior approach, you don't want to put your leg into extension, in other words, your hip way behind you, and externally rotate it. So you have some limitations of motion. Probably the most important thing is you don't want to do any twisting exercises like golf for six weeks, despite okay. the fact that you feel great. That has nothing to do with it. You, you want the bone to grow into the stem, and then it's permanent. If, you, if it wiggles around a little bit, develops a little scar tissue, and never grows in, you're either going to end up with a revision or a hip that hurts you, and you have some anterior thigh pain for the rest of your life. So six weeks of no torsional exercises. But walking straight ahead without a limp, that is to say keeping your head in the middle when you walk, everybody with a bad hip shifts their head to the affected side and comes back. That's how they walk. And so your family can tell you when you're walking appropriately after you've had a hip replacement by just keeping, seeing if you keep your head in the middle when you're doing your heel-toe gait. Okay. So, um, 
So, so that would be total, a total hit. With a total knee, you just have to work like heck in the first month to get your knee motion back. It's going to hurt. And people say, well, how do I know a good hurt from a bad hurt? Let me tell you. Get your knee straight and get it to bend. And I don't care how much it hurts because okay. that's what you need to do. And a total knee is three or four times more difficult to recover from than is a total hip. Uh, oh. The hip is a more forgiving joint. It's easier to recover from. It's a ball and socket. The knee requires extraordinary effort on the part of the patient. Okay. I've seen that. And I've dealt with a lot of patients and a lot of family members that have a lot of knee pain. And they have said that. And after their total knee, and I'd say about a good three months, they're like, I'm not in pain anymore. Yeah, but they had to go through it. It's one of the most... Re th those two procedures are some of the most rewarding in orthopedics. And... You there's nothing like a happy patient. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> in your experience in the last 35, 40 years, what types of patients do the best in joint replacement? Well, the, the type A personality that is a little bit competitive, has a pretty high pain tolerance, um, and can follow a few simple directions. Uh, really, you just need somebody who's willing to play by the rules, um, and they do great. And 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 that's barring weight or previous athletic accomplish accomplishments or anything. It's just you just have to attack your recovery uh, with with really vim and vigor, mm -hmm. um, and then you're going to do well. Okay. So big take homes are discipline and listen. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And, and you know, ask the right questions and mm -hmm. get the right answers from your doctor or his PA or nurse practitioner. Okay. Um, we're going to shift gears now and talk about a little bit about post-surgery and physical therapy. So, is physical therapy different for a hip than it is for a knee? Um, physical therapy is absolutely mandatory for knee replacement surgery. Okay. Um, it's harder. It's longer. Um, and you probably do need a bit of a cheerleader and coach. So physical therapy for the total knee uh, replacement patient is mandatory. For a hip replacement, some hip replacement patients can simply do their exercises. They come in walking well, and uh, they may or may not need to do um, supervised therapy, although most doctors will give them a slip for a month and but a lot of them, by the time they get three or four weeks out, are doing great and um, want to come in and stop therapy and move on with life with the restriction of no torsional activities for six weeks. Okay. What is atrophy? I've heard that before when we deal with muscles and joint replacements and things like that. And how can you avoid it? Well, um, life as a muscle is very simply put. If you don't use it, you lose it. So okay. atrophy is the loss of muscle mass. Um, and it's very difficult uh, in the over 60 population to build muscle back, which is why uh, right after surgery, you start, and, and even before surgery, you start trying to build muscle because surgery always makes you sicker before it makes you better. 
You're going to develop some atrophy because of your relative disuse. But the moment your pain level allows it, you need to step on the gas and build some muscle. And you need to do it even before surgery. So, Okay. So for hips, you were kind of saying, I mean, next day you should be up and walking, right? Or that we get them up in the... Uh, I'll stop? Right away. And if they're doing okay, they can go home. Okay. Um, so it's it's all sort of uh, driven by how the patient and okay. their general health responds mm-hmm. to the uh, the insult of surgery. Okay. The what's the average recuperation for a hip versus a knee? Well, I on an average person, I would say most hip patients at six weeks you you have to almost hold them back from activity, and most knee patients are just beginning to start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So most hip patients are walking long distances at four to six weeks, and most knee patients are not doing that for six to eight weeks. So I think the difference is probably a month uh, between the two. Okay. And um, within your years of practice, what are some common complications that you've seen? Oh, gosh. Well, the worst uh, two potential complications in either um, a total hip or a total knee uh, would be infection uh, or deep vein thrombosis, a blood clot. So blood clots can kill people. Um, Unrecognized when they don't kill you, sometimes they can result in chronic swelling of your leg. Infection is very difficult to to be treated. Sometimes early can be treated with a washout, uh, but late prosthesis has to be removed, an antibiotic spacer block put in, and then a new prosthesis put back in eight weeks or so later, or whenever the numbers come down that shows the eradication of your infection. So those are the two most dreaded complications. Knee replacement, I would say stiffness is a complication, and that's why the patient has to work really hard. The surgery has to be done very meticulously. Um, So stiffness is a potential complication, generally uh, remedied by a manipulation, and then go hard at physical therapy Mm -hmm. uh, once again so that you don't end up in the same situation. Um, uh, The other potential dislocation with... uh, potential uh, complication with the hip is dislocation. And that's from uh, either A, malposition of the components, or B, uh, the patient not following the rules. Mm-hmm. They did the torsion, did something? Well, they, they put their hip in a bad position in the early recovery phase. Okay. Either flexing it way up and turning it way in or moving it way back and turning it out, depending on which approach was used for their surgery. Throughout your years, do you have any extraordinary examples you can share with us? Well, I guess um, I, uh, thinking about other orthopedic surgeons out there, um, I am—I would prefer not to talk about the outliers because I can tell you in my practice, yes, I had outliers, guys that did so great. I would tell them, when you're in the waiting room, please don't tell people <laughs> when you had your surgery and demonstrate how well you're doing because it's not reproducible. Mm-hmm. So everybody gets those guys. I would say 
probably my best example of an extraordinary patient uh, was a gentleman who I did his knee replacement when he was 45. Way early, but he had a crooked leg and he couldn't walk. And he needed to work for a few more years before he could retire. And then he retired up in Gladwin, Michigan. Why I remember this, I don't know. But just before I retired, maybe a year before I retired, he was in the waiting room. I saw him out there and I'm thinking, his knee's loose. Something's wrong. You know, and here he came in um, to have his other knee done. And I, I guess I would say, you know, to see somebody back 30 years later or so uh, with his knee that I did, and the first five or seven years are really tough because it's sort of like having your, giving your car to a 17-year-old, you know, the first three years, he's going to drive the heck out of it. Yeah. Well, that's what this guy did, but his knee lasted. And, and I would say that would be uh, an a great example of an outlier. I don't know why he did so well for so long, um, but the fact that he came, drove down to have his other knee done was was exceptional and was a uh, was really rewarding for me. Mm -hmm. It says something about you too, sir. So that's wonderful. Thanks. Um, for those watching and thinking, geez, you know, I'm in pain, but I can kind of live with it. They're kind of waxing and waiting on this decision. What advice would you give them? Don't decrease your activity and lose your vitality. Every single person that has their knee or hip done goes through a period of denial. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, I can live with it. Um, as they, their muscles melt away, their general physical health melts away, and then expect to do as well as the person who didn't wait. So I would say be really active, and when you can't be active anymore and you start to feel like you're losing your strength and your vitality, pull the trigger because um, you will be better and you will be happy about it um, and wonder why you waited. So that would be my advice. Okay. What do you think the future holds for joint replacement? What do you foresee happening? I think in the near future, um, things like the robotic surgery and virtual reality uh, are going to make uh, the surgery a little bit easier. Um, but it still takes the meticulous surgeon who in a knee is, is able to perfectly balance the ligamentous complexes about the knee. Um, uh, so I think it's, it's still going to be uh, predicated upon uh, having a really great surgeon do your procedure. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the distant future there will be some sort of drastic change in cartilage metabolism and, and research on what keeps your articular cartilage alive and stops it from deteriorating. I think that's the future of, uh, of really what is going to happen uh, to orthopedics. Someday, you know, just like with cancer, they're going to say someday, gee, they thought they could cut it out, you know, 
how barbaric. Someday they're going to say, well, we just injected this enzyme or, or, or this uh, DNA or whatever into a joint and it will be cured or will start on its way to, to being cured. I think that is the future of orthopedics probably 50 years from now, but that would be my hope rather than replacing it with metal and plastic like we are now. All right, great. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? Probably uh, about the only thing for the young people who might be watching. Being somebody's doctor is an honor. It is the greatest job known to man. People trust you with their life. I think, um, you know, um, I would tell young people who think about being a doctor to go for it because you'll never regret it. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today, Dr. Ward. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today on AgeWise Health. I'm your host, Maggie Jess. If you have any questions about today's show, please feel free to call 248-288-2270. Stay safe and healthy.